Welcome to this special extra edition of Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we are dedicated to making the world 10% nicer, at the very least. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and at this moment, right now, while you're listening to this, 250 million farmers in India are taking a stand against their government as part of the biggest protest in human history. And if you Well, please stick around for the next half hour. I know you'll understand why you should give a damn. These protests are in response to the Indian government's decision to pass a series of laws that would deregulate the agricultural industry in the country and put farmers who are already struggling in a much worse position. The Indian government has responded by firing tear gas canisters, beating protesters, and cutting off reports on government violence by cutting off the internet and falsely imprisoning the brave journalists who dare contradict the Modi administration's narrative. A nicer world? A nicer world absolutely requires that the people who dedicate their lives to growing our food, without which none of us exist, are treated with respect. Hell, farmers farmers should be revered, certainly above the politicians who in India, the United States, and elsewhere routinely disrespect and demean them. To give you an overview of what's going on, why it matters, we've brought in Rajampreet Kaur of the Sikh Coalition, the largest Sikh civil rights organization in the United States. Rajapreet and the Sikh Coalition are dedicated to the cause of creating a world in which people can practice their faith and have pride in their identity without fear. Now, that's a big mission, but I think with young leaders like Rajapreet, now I know, I know it can happen. I know it must happen. Okay? So you're ready? Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Rajapreet Rajampreet Kaur of the Sikh Coalition, thank you for being on Nice Work Podcast today. Really glad to have you here. Really big, really big topic. And so thanks for making some time to join us. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. I'm really grateful to be on here today. So you, the the, the coalition is based in New York City. Is that right? But you have, what, you have people uh, all over the country, all over the world. What's the structure like? That's exactly right. Our headquarters are based in New York, um, right near the stock exchange, actually. But the work that we do is all around the country. We work with communities based in different states. And so we do also have staff who live across the country, but I specifically work in the New York City office and have been working from home because of the pandemic. So technically from New Jersey. So what is the work that the SIT Coalition focuses on, the larger work? Not what we're talking about here today, but what's the larger mission of the coalition? The larger mission, the goal of the work that we do is really that everyone should be able to practice their faith fearlessly, really. And we do work in classrooms, in the courtroom, um, in Congress, and in community across legal, education, advocacy, media, and community work. Um, And really, our focus is to work directly with communities at the grassroots level to build engagement and to make change happen so that Sikh Americans all across the country can practice their faith fearlessly in everything that they do. I like that phrase, practicing your faith fearlessly. And I think most listeners, I think, would agree that that would be part of a nicer world. 
you know, around the world if we could have uh, less clash among faiths. Tell us a little bit about, because not everybody who's listening to this is familiar with the Sikh religion. Can you give a little, just a quick overview? You're, you're kind of a big deal, right? <laughs> I would say so, although I don't think uh, everyone realizes it. You know, Sikhism is the fifth largest religion in the world. It was founded in modern day Northwest India, right by the border uh, with Pakistan. And in the U.S., there's about half a million Sikhs. The largest concentration is in California. Actually, Todd, where you're from, hosts the largest festival every year. And so, it does. Uh, yeah. Yuba City! <laughs> Yuba City, yeah. That's really where you'll, you'll find the largest gathering of Sikhs in America every year. And around the world, there are 25 million Sikhs. So you're doing the work of, of uh, just watching out. Watching out for the six here in the USA and, and international relations, right? Yeah. And, you know, it is it is a lot of proactive work. And so mm -hmm. engaging with lawmakers, um, teachers, really anyone that you can think of in every avenue. But a lot of it is reactive as well. And a great example of that is when hate crimes occur. That is something that we'll do a lot of reactive work around in providing support to the family and the community. And so it's a bit of both. And there was a big surge of just ignorant hate crimes after 9-11, right? Yeah. Um, actually, our organization was founded in the aftermath of 9-11. The first person who was killed was Balbir Singh Sodhi. He owned a gas station in Arizona, and he was the first victim of, in the post-9-11 world. Um, and since then, there have been a lot of attacks of hate on the Sikh community, but other communities as well. And, you know, for us, it's really important to share the message that no one deserves to be attacked for who they are or for what they believe. Amen to that. Amen to that. That's, uh, I, I do remember, I remember when, when he was killed because obviously it was national news because of the mistaken identity, right? Anybody who looked different was obviously, um, you know, a terrorist, and it was horrible, still is horrible, and it still happens to this day. So on that, just thanks for your work, because it's work that, that extends far beyond the Sikh community, right? Of, of course. Um, and Todd, just, just yeah. on that note, that talk of mistaken identity, again, um, I think an important narrative to always really push is that it's not just the Sikh community that has been targeted, it's other communities as well. And at the end of the day, just no one, regardless of where you come from or what you look like, deserves to be targeted. Yes. So to what's happening right now, the big issue that's happening right now that just fires me up for reasons that we'll, we'll get into, but right now, as we have this conversation and as everyone is listening to this, there are a million plus farmers sitting on the streets in India. They've been there for months mm -hmm. okay, and they're protesting peacefully, no matter what you might hear. Um, what's happening? What, what's, what are these farmers upset about? Thanks for bringing that up, Todd. Um, farmers have been protesting on the outskirts of Delhi, India's capital city, since November. And in fact, these protests started back in September when the Indian government passed uh, three bills that will really deregulate the farming industry in India. And, you know, at the time that these laws were passed, they were really kind of rushed through. Parliament passed without debate and farmers began protesting where they were around the country. And when they saw that, the government wasn't taking any action to listen to them. They all really 
left their homes, left their farms, and they all marched to Delhi and they've been camped out there since November. Um, today, we're actually entering the 77th day of the protest. And what they're fighting for is really simple. Repeal the bills, repeal the bills, repeal the bills. They want the government to take back these bills because the farmers believe that the bills will threaten their livelihoods. Um, and agriculture is income for nearly half of India's population. And so this is a really big deal. It involves a lot of people across backgrounds, across faiths, across states in India. And that is their one ask to the government, repeal the bills so that they can continue with their livelihoods. What is, and I know these bills, these are bills, right? So they're just, I'm sure they're like every other country, they're just these huge, voluminous, complex things, each one that's introduced. But if you could sort of succinctly encapsulate each one that they're looking to be repealed, what what are the bills? What are the bones to pick that the farmers have with them? Yeah, I think it's it'll be a bit more boring <laughs> to go bill by bill. And so right. what, what I'll do is... Um, the main points. What are the main yeah. things that they're frustrated with? Yeah, share the main points. And so, for example, one of the things that the bills will essentially mean for farmers is that they won't be guaranteed a minimum support price um, that the government has always guaranteed for them. It's shedding responsibility for the government in the role that they have in protecting farmers and regulating prices. And this will give room for large corporations to come in and essentially do what they like, right? It's going to open the market to mass privatization. And, you know, who's to say that, for example, corporations wouldn't import food from other countries, right? And a bunch of it so that they can then regulate prices. And perhaps one of the worst aspects of the bill is that there's not going to be any legal recourse for the farmers. So they won't be able to, you know, take any legal action for against anyone who is maybe trying to kick them out of their farm because they're not able to pay a debt. Am I right when I say that Prime Minister Modi and his administration are just kind of saying they don't have to worry about that because they can trust the government and big corporations to keep their promises? <laughs> yeah, they have been saying that. But, you know, I think there's a lot of history there, and I'm not a history expert that I can speak to all of it, but there's a lot of reservations that farmers do have, um, justified reservations for not believing that to be true. And really, I mean, if you again, if you look at the language of the bills, the government's taking themselves out of the equation much more than they have been for years prior and taking away the ability for farmers to take any legal action against corporations and that language in itself is really troubling. Are these corp I mean, I'm just shocked that anybody would think that uh, most of us just wouldn't put blind faith in in governments and, and multinational corporations. I mean, when have they ever done us wrong, especially in India? So are these mostly Indian corporations or are these international multinationals that are looking to kind of come in and and help with farming? <laughs> At least in the discourse around these bills, there are two businessmen, uh, widely Ambani and Adani is how they're known, that farmers are afraid will essentially eventually take over their farms. Um, and they own a lot of industry in India, really. There is a history of American companies as well, like Monsanto, having a play in India's agriculture. And that goes back decades. But again, I'm not an expert on that issue. And so I think it's better if I don't, I don't speak to it as much. 
this is food. This is what we all use to live on. Much more valuable than uh, anything Silicon Valley has ever produced. Okay, this is the stuff of life. This is why it matters. And this is a proxy battle for farmers all over the world, United States and beyond. And many of these farmers have already dealt with similar situations here in the US with similar uh, difficulties being able to compete with industrial scale agriculture. So if you're wondering why this matters to you, this is if, if you eat food, um, if you could consider yourself a friend of a farmer, this is something that while it's happening right here in India now, one, everybody all over the world eats that food. <laughs> and two, it can happen where you are. This is a proxy battle for farmers and disempowered people all over. Anyway, that's my little rant. I want to get into something though, because in trying to figure out what's going on with this, it's a little obtuse. I, I've, I found myself reading articles from the major news media that say that kind of, they don't really point the fingers at the farmers, but they don't, they kind of make it feel like either the farmers are overreacting because you can trust the Modi administration or that the farmers are being violent or it's just not reported on. So I, this was my difficulty in finding out more information and even finding um, the SIT coalition to talk to in the first place. What's going on with the media? Why, why is this so cloudy right now? Yeah, it definitely is cloudy. I think the way that you shared it is great because um, speaking to a lot of people who don't know about it, they kind of come up with the same uh, sort of reaction as well, that it's difficult to find information. Um, and kind of my reaction to that is make sure you're getting your information from multiple sources if you can, because information sharing in general is very important to this movement. I would say one of the successes of this movement and why it has sustained for so long and why it continues to grow and gain support. I mean, Rihanna just tweeted about it last week is because right. people who are on the ground are able to share things in real time and that is able to get shared on social media. And when it comes to news outlets in particular, on the Press Freedom Index, India in the last couple of years has fallen way lower than they were, I would say, six years ago. and the media in India, much of it portrays narratives that the government wants it to portray. And so when I say make sure you're getting your news from multiple outlets, that's really important because if you look at framing from U.S. outlets and international outlets, you're going to get a different picture than you will looking at Indian news. And even with U.S. outlets, there have been times when international media unknowingly plays into the government narrative. For example, when framing protesters as angry, putting an undue emphasis on violence, when these protests have largely been incredibly peaceful since November. In fact, a source of community building and that gets left out. Um, and so, again, with that, social media is also really helpful if you follow folks who are on the ground. But I would say in the diaspora, you know, if you know someone who cares about this issue, reach out to them, ask them to help you understand it, and do the due diligence of learning on your own as well. I don't think you're going to get, I think no matter who you talk to, you're going to get a bit of, um, a bit of their own take on it, you know, and it's important for you to build your own take as well. And just along with that, it's important to just 
read from as many sources as you can. If you don't know, um, follow organizations who are doing the work and sharing the information. And many organizations, if you were to go on Twitter or Instagram right now and just type in SICK, S-I-K-H, and look up the first couple organizations that come to mind, um, I guarantee you that they're talking about this. And those are great sources of information as well that kind of give you a picture that is representative of how complex this issue really is. So let's just get a call to action in here right now real quick, and we'll repeat it at the end. But rather than making people wait to the end of the podcast, if, they're, if they want to learn more information, if they want to help just take action by pressuring Congress or something, I'm talking about U.S. listeners, where do they go? What can they do? What are some places that they can hit up? And Anything that, that uh, Roger Preet mentions right now will be in the show notes, folks, so you don't have to pull over and write this down, but can you just tell us where to go? For sure. Um, so one action that many people here in the States right now are doing is trying to get this on the radars of their elected officials. And the reason for doing that is because if our elected officials um, publicly stand up for the farmers and say, hey, India, you can't take all these anti-democratic actions against the protesters, you can't turn off the internet, you can't arrest journalists, etc., then it sends India the message that the world is watching. And it's much less likely that India will do something, or sorry, the Indian government will do something much worse to the protesters. And so if you go to bit.ly slash farmers dash protest. Um, again, that's bit.ly slash farmers dash protest. Um, take 60 seconds. You just have to fill in your information, like your name, your address, um, and then that's used to look up your representative. There's a draft letter already in there that you can review, make edits to if you need to, and then just hit send. It'll go straight to your elected officials and it puts it on their radar. So I did it. And you know how organizations, folks, they always say, it'll only take you a minute or two. So I, I time this because I'm a nerd. It took me 37 seconds. Oh. So if you have 37 seconds to uh, send a little something to your elected representative, bit.ly, it's a short link, farmers-protest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, that'll be in the show notes. Okay, great. Uh, and since I did it, Super Nice Club members, that's my challenge to you. If you care about food, <laughs> if you care about food, go do that. If you don't care about food, whatever, you know, go to In-N-Out Burger, you know, but uh, <laughs> just kidding. And by the way, Rajan Preet brought up something, which is the, a couple things, a lot of stuff, actually, uh, the Global Press Freedom Index, which India has been sliding down uh, that rank, which is too bad because India needs to be a leading nation on that and has, has been in the past um, much higher. The United States, guys and gals, is 45th. 45th, just below Botswana and the Organization of Eastern Caribbean States, and just above Papua New Guinea and Senegal. So don't gloat too much if you're in the USA, because this is part of the problem, is our lack of press freedom is murkying what we're getting when it comes to news. Because, you know, India and USA have some pretty strong trade ties. And there are political reasons for not reporting on this with a lot of clarity, which is why we want you to go to that bit.ly link and try to be more pressure. We want the, the U.S. citizens to be exert more pressure than the prime minister of India's um, administration. Uh, if you want to know who the top three are, I got that for you. Norway, Finland, and Sweden. Mm-hmm. I mean, are we surprised? <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> you know, anyway. Um, so thanks. Another thing that you mentioned, um, turning off the internet. Like, how do you turn off the internet? 
Prime Minister Modi has turned off the internet over 400 times in the last five years. And not just like at his house, like turning off the Wi-Fi box. I mean, to big chunks of, uh, who has he been turning it off on? Like, I don't get it. How do you do that? Yeah, um, actually around these protests, there was a mass tractor rally on the 26th of January. And that was the first time the protesters were even allowed into their capital city to take their protests there. But after... Yeah. After the protest, um, the government started shutting off the internet. And since then, um, I believe just this week is when they've actually restored internet services. So for the past couple of weeks at the protest sites, all the way extending to the entire state that the um, protests are located in, the internet's been shut off. And I mean, that's a big deal, right? That's suppressing speech. That's an attack on democracy, if you will. And so even for the protests, you know, that's how folks share information with each other. That's how information gets out to the rest of the world. And it's really concerning for democracy because if India, the world's largest democracy, can go ahead and do that here, the amount of times that the Indian government has done it in the last couple of years, 400 times, what's to say that other democracies around the world won't follow suit or can follow suit, you know? Absolutely. Now, I'm a technological Luddite. I admit that. I'm wondering if, you know, uh, the tech billionaires like Musk are shooting up, they're, they're, they're screwing up our constellations by shooting up thousands of satellites to um, beam internet directly down to subscribers. I wonder if a government can shut those off. I have no idea, but I think that would be scary if it could. Yeah. I mean, does anybody out there know? Can can we can we are we entering an era of if you can afford it unshuttable offable internet service so that uh, uh, governments won't be able to silence uh, movements? I'd like to know. I'd like to know the, the the information on that. If you know that, send me the information. Message us. Um, I'll send you something cool. Uh, first person that sends me that info. I don't want to Google it. All right. I don't want to be staring on my screen. I want to talk to you. So it's better for me that way. So I'm asking super nice club listeners. Can we shut off satellite space internet? Yes or no? That's that's my question. <laughs> so what's going on with the Biden administration? Where are they standing on this currently? Is there any action there? Does, does Joe Biden, is he hip to this fight? So um, the Biden administration actually, so the Sikh coalition has sent two letters to the Biden administration um, in January, where we were really asking them to issue a statement condemning India's anti-democratic response to the protests and to really monitor the increasing number of actions against individuals and organizations that the Indian government has been taking, right? And last week, Actually, in addition, in answer to queries from reporters, the Department of State uh, shared a position about the protest. And unfortunately, what they had to share was not enough to meet this historic moment. Um, they mentioned the right to peaceful protests, but they failed to acknowledge paramilitary and police brutality or other tactics of intimidation that the Indian government has been using, like issuing legal notices, arresting protesters on exaggerated charges, and again, going so far as to cut off internet, even cutting off water access to the protest sites. And so, wow. yeah. And so, I think it's really important that the Biden administration follows the lead of members of Congress and bodies in the U.S., like the city of Seattle, who have taken a stronger stance, a more meaningful stance for the protesters. And anything less than that 
is saying that business as usual with India matters a lot more to America than basic human rights. Which the Super Ice Club is is going to be a strong advocate of basic human rights over business as usual. Let's be clear on that. So taking this back for a second to the actual impacts of this legislation, what are we looking at? We're looking at many millions of farmers with drastically reduced income. I mean, I want to humanize this. What What is the sort of worst case scenario here if, if the government and corporations are as predatory as they tend to be? Is that you see people losing their homes because of debt that they can't pay off. They don't have any money to put food on the table. And you know, one of the heartbreaking things about all of this is that where will they go after? There's nowhere to go, especially in a country where education really takes you farther than anything else. Many of these farming families, they've been doing this for generations. This has been the only thing that they have been doing. And when they no longer have that, how are they going to survive? That really is the question. And when you have a sudden class change where millions and millions of people are suddenly poor, that leads to all sorts of clashes, that leads to instability, it leads to, ultimately, it can lead to warfare. So it it could be a big problem. And I w- I'm just surprised that, that the administration would not see this as a wildly destabilizing action. Yeah, I think we all are. But again, I think the important thing to do here is really to just keep pushing. We, the people, <laughs> really need to keep on pushing our elected officials across the country to just take take stronger stances, to stand up for farmers. Because again, just like you said it earlier, Todd, farmers put food on the table. Um, without farmers, there is no food, right? And so f- putting pressure on our elected officials, putting pressure on the administration to take a stronger stance and to do more to condemn India for their anti-democratic actions really just is in the best interests for everyone, for farmers, for food, for democracy. Um, And all of these issues, I think, are deeply intertwined. Absolutely. And whenever a bad model is successful, that bad model then tends to be attempted elsewhere in country after country after country. That's why this is important, folks. Mm -hmm. That's why you need to take action on this. Go to that link, please, please, please. Um, Do you feel feel hopeful at this point at all? Is there, do you have international support outside of US solidarity? Is there there anything that is good happening right now? Yeah, that's a great question, Todd, um, because I think this is something you won't see if you're relying mostly on Uh, news outlets for your information about the protests. And that is that this movement is a movement of people across backgrounds, across faiths, across languages, and so much more. And they're all united in this one thing, which is repeal the bills and saying that to the Indian government. And these folks have left behind their families, their farms to protest. And they remain hopeful. They remain unwavered. They remain determined to continue their protests until their demands are met. And I think for us who are here in the diaspora, who live in other countries, we take inspiration from that, from their resilience. It powers us and feeds us. 
to continue to raise awareness and call on our elected officials and call on our news outlets to do more in bringing attention to the protests and making sure that um, the farmers are able to protest without fear of any actions from the Indian government like arrests or anything else. And, you know, solidarity protests have taken place all across the world in America, in 16 plus cities, in other countries, in England, in Australia, anywhere in the world where there is a Punjabi population, where there is a Sikh population, Mm -hmm. protests have taken place. And with that, awareness has been brought to other people who are outside this movement as well. And what's it started with the farmers in India and Delhi, and it's spread across the entire world, but they're really the ones holding it down and continuing to inspire the rest of us and um, feed the rest of us. And so our duty is to make sure that they can continue to do what they're doing. And that's telling the government, hey, you need to repeal these bills. And they're going to continue in India to protest for as long as they need to because their livelihoods depend on it. And when you mention diaspora, you reference anyone of Indian descent, not just the Sikh population around the world, right? And that's what's so interesting that the, the Sikh coalition right now is championing outside their 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 core mission, which is the, the Sikh population right now. This is a fight for all of India, right? Yeah. And you know, our priority really is, is that, well, so we work for Six in America and making sure that they can do what they need to do. And Six in America really care about this issue because many folks still have families or have connections uh, to people who live in India. And it's not just Six, it's not just farmers from Punjab who are on the front lines at this protest. It's people from all across the country. And in that way, it really is a people's movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a farmer's movement. It's it's a people's movement. People's lives will be upended, their incomes, their livelihoods, their ability to put food on the table if if they're not able, if these bills go through and they're not able to do what they continue to do. And I think that's a threat to just everything. I absolutely agree. It's why we're talking right now. It just, it's such a, again, it's such a proxy battle on so many fronts. Let's talk about you for a quick second before we wrap this up. Rajampreet, what was your experience like that led you to grassroots organization and the nonprofit sector and being a voice, you know, a voice for the voiceless? How did you get here? How did your passion lead you here? You know, I think about this myself all the time and I feel like the answer changes every time I think about it. (laughs) What's today's answer? It's fine. (laughs) Today's answer is, you know, growing up in New Jersey, um, especially where I've grown up, I always found it difficult to find people who looked like me and I never really had that connection. So into my teens and late teens, I was always craving to find community. And I think that's coupled, that idea is coupled with just looking at the hard work of people and you know how hard they work to really put food on the table and especially the Punjabi Sikh Um, population here in the United States. The community that I grew up with is very immigrant heavy. And so you see a lot of folks who are working, working, working to do what it is that they need to do. And they shouldn't have to worry about things like um, being kicked out of their job because they were a turban or 
you know, being bullied at school because of the way that they look. And so it's a lot of these passions and just wanting to make sure that you're able to live a good life the way you want to. And no one should come after you because of the color of your skin or how long your hair is or the fact that you cover your hair um, and wear a butka or a turban. And just, it's just about, for me, it's just about making sure that you can do what it is that you need to do. That is absolutely, definitely nice work if, if it's ever been defined. So I appreciate, appreciate you doing that work. You know, the idea of this podcast is that people are exposed to each guest. Each guest is passionate about you know, his or her work in a similar way, although it may be wildly different career, mm-hmm. right? It's still coming from a place of ultimately engaging in a work that is making the world in somehow you know a nicer place. For you, it's very personal. Yeah. It's very personal. It's your experience growing up and, hey, I don't want others to experience this you know? Exactly, and so that's great. It's noble, and and thank you for doing it. Thank you for being on here. I want to repeat that call to action real quick about what people can do to help the farmers in India. They're listening to this. What can they do? What can they beyond just doing it? Also sharing with others. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to go to this link, this Bitly slash Farmers hyphen protest, right? Yep. Share with other people too right? You have amazing power to sign up and it does make a difference. Legislators do pay attention to what comes into their inboxes. They do. They really do. If you have a mailing list, if you have personal friends and family and you're like, hey, send it out to six or seven people, you've just kind of like punched way above your weight class all of a sudden as a citizen. So I urge people to kind of consider that, you know, if this is something that that lands with you uh, emotionally or intellectually, if it doesn't land with you, fair enough, but maybe take a little bit of time to go online and research the the this the the issue, the situation here. So if people want to go online and research, is there I know they can go to sitcoalition.org, mm-hmm. S-I-K-H coalition.org. Is there another trusted resource or is it just go on to Twitter and hashtag farmers protest, like you said? Yeah, I mean, go to Twitter, go to Instagram, hashtag farmers protest, because a lot of what you'll see there is a lot of what is coming out of the ground. So there's another website, it's called Kisan Ikta. So that's spelled K-I-S-A-A-N-E-K-T-A, kisanikta.co.co. Go there to just learn about what's going on and follow news as well. Follow outlets like the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, a lot of the big news outlets that are here in the States, they do have folks in India who are reporting on the protests. And so that's a great place to look to for coverage. And I would say at any point, if you do engage with conversation with anyone else, and Todd, I know you gave a challenge earlier. I kind of want to give one of my own as well. You do. You get to do that. Every guest gets a <laughs> challenge. What do you got? Um, when you take the time to speak with someone else about this issue, and really when you speak about any issue um, you're unfamiliar with, or you may be learning about for the first time, my challenge to you is to just listen and to really listen to what the other person is saying and hear from their perspective and hear what they have to say. That doesn't mean that you have to agree with it. Um, That doesn't mean you have to take it and tell the next 100 people, but take the time to just listen and hear it from their perspective, because I think that really goes a long way in helping people connect and 
just making the world a nicer place, I think, as you would say. Challenge accepted. We go into a lot of these conversations thinking that we know, you know, thinking that we're already educated about the facts and maybe we are, but then when we're talking to someone who's actually living the experience or living uh, the challenge uh, that we're trying to educate ourselves around, it would be good of us to just kind of throw the facts out that we think we know and listen, like you said. So I agree. Um, Real quick, before we go, I want to give a quick shout out uh, and do a little public service announcement. Um, But the shout out to my dear friend, Tej. Tej, you know who you are. Uh, It's Tej's passion that, that led me to this. It was his Instagram feed, which is still blazing around this. If Tej cares about something, I usually pay attention because he's just a really smart guy. Engineer and just smart, a lot better looking than I am. I try to be like Tej. That's just how it is. It's a fact. He knows it. We've talked about this in person. It's nothing new. But Tej also reminded me of something a few times that I kept screwing up my whole life, which is S-I-K-H is pronounced sick, folks, not seek. Sick. All right. So I know if you're listening to this, you've probably mispronounced it your whole life as well. It's today it stops. And together, together we can pronounce the world's fifth largest religion correctly. That's respect. All right. It's not the Catholic church. It's Catholic. So sick. We got it. Are we all in on this? Everybody who's listening to this say sick. Say it. Okay. Thank you. You did it. Now you'll never mispronounce it again. All right. I think I overdid that, but hey, you know, we might, have, we might have helped a little bit there. Raj and Preet, thanks for being on here. Thank you to everybody at the SIT Coalition, please, from uh, the Super Nice Club for doing your work. I've worked nonprofit for years, and I know that it's not that it can be very thankless because you don't often get to see the fruits of your labor. You know, you look up and you just wonder, is anybody paying attention? Is anybody listening? Is this all for naught? Because you often see stuff that indicates they're not. And you have to trust that... There are hundreds of other nonprofits working on similar work uh, and that they're doing the work as well and that collectively uh, you are making progress. So I know it can be thankless. So thanking you for doing the work. Thanks to Coalition. And I look forward to making progress on this. I look forward to the the farmers repealing this nasty legislation. No, it's legislation. Thank you so much, Todd. Um, On all accounts, that's really It's really heartwarming to hear. And I think for all of us, um, if you care about this, we're all just really hoping that, you know, the the bills are repealed soon so that our farmers can finally go home and rest. I hope so as well. We will talk again because I'm going to, I'm going to hit you guys up for updates. All right, Rajan. Yeah, for sure. So there you have it, a super nice conversation with the super nice Rajan Preet Kaur of the Sikh Coalition, who gave you know, a cursory overview of the farmers' protest in India. But now that you're aware of the situation, I mean, do you feel compelled to do anything about it? To maybe, uh, at the very least, share this information with others? Or maybe even do your own research and, and take 37 seconds to ask your elected representative to do theirs. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, first of all, just thanks so much. Your subscription, your support, your reviews, they mean everything. But you also, you might be wondering why this episode, why this extra episode, why, why is this one a little bit different, a little harder hitting in that instead of being focused on the, the, the difference making passion of the guest, focused instead, uh, kind of focused instead on the issue that is the subject of a guest's focus and passion. Does that make sense? I hope so. It's a slight tonal shift, but it's enough of one that I feel, I just, I just want to address it a bit. Uh, you know, first of all, 
I'm a lifelong activist, so this is my sweet spot, even if it doesn't always shine through the super nice club. But more than that, this fight hits closer to home for me, literally. You see, I was, I was born in Yuba City, California, a, a Northern California city, a Sacramento Valley town that was once named the worst city in the USA. I spent time growing up in the tiny town next door, Marysville. These are twin cities, so to speak. And my mom was friends with and worked with the leaders of the, the relatively large Chinese and Sikh communities there in Yuba City, Marysville. I guess I had a bit more exposure to these communities as a result, and their concerns resonate just, just a little more, you know, with me. And then, of course, there's my friend Tej, who grew up in Yuba City, much of his family still that area, and he's just one of my favorite humans. So, as I stated earlier, it was his passion for this that ignited mine. And, you know, I actually like Rihanna. She seems cool, so <laughs> there you have it. That's, that's why we have this episode. Hope you got something out of this, y'all. I really do. Let's fight every single day for a nicer world. Until next week, friends and lovers, stay nice. <laughs>